Good morning. Hope everybody had a good week. We took Robbie to the Ohio State basketball game on Tuesday. They played at Illinois. I think he had a good time, aside from the fact that the wrong team won. But I hope everybody had a good week. Uh, we're taking a break from Galatians this morning. The plan is to be back, Lord willing, next week. Uh, this is something I've wanted to do at some point in our study of Galatians. For the last three weeks, I've been making the overarching point that our works do not save us. Specific to Galatians, works of the law do not save us. But really, that's true of all of our works. We cannot save ourselves by our obedience. Today, we look at a passage from the book of James where he seems to be saying the exact opposite of what we've been talking about. And it'll raise some important theological questions. And it's for that reason that I think it's a great passage to explore this morning because I think it gives us a fuller picture of both Galatians and James. So if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your holy word. Lord, we want to lift up Wendell as he's in the hospital with pneumonia. And Lord, we want to pray for a recovery for him. Lord, we, we know he has a, a lot of health issues and we just want to pray for, for Wendell. Lord, we pray that he have lots and lots of good days still ahead of him. Lord, we also want to continue to pray for Donna as she takes care of him. And uh, Lord, we, we pray for this family. Lord, we want to praise you for Ruby being back home. And Lord, we just continue to pray for her recovery, for her to be getting stronger and stronger. Lord, we lift her up, and we continue to also pray for Winston Kaufman. Lord, we pray for his treatment. Lord, we pray for his healing and health, and we continue to pray for his parents, his sister, his family. Lord, we, we pray for this, this little guy. In Jesus' name, amen. Being vegan. When you're a vegan, you don't eat meat or use animal products. Being vegan is a lifestyle. Now imagine that I talked every week about how I was vegan, and then I invited you over to my house for dinner, and we were having steak and lobster. And then I was washing it down with a glass of milk. And under my kitchen table, 
you notice that I have a bearskin rug. And then I'm wearing a fur coat. And you notice the silverware, and you think, is this ivory handled? Is that even legal? You start to think to yourself, I don't think he's actually vegan. Because just saying that you're vegan doesn't make you vegan. You look up at the wall, and you see all of the prize game that I've hunted over the years. But just saying that you're vegan doesn't mean that you're vegan. If you say that you're a vegan, and then nothing that you do in your life coincides with the values of veganism, you're not a vegan. In our passage today, James will point to the importance of Christians living out their faith. And our main idea is that works work to show faith that works. And we'll look at our passage in three parts. We're going to look at what James has to say about works. Then we're going to bring Paul into the conversation before finishing our James passage this morning. We begin with James and works, and in the beginning, James is giving a real-world illustration of a point that he's making. Verses 14 and 15. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. James presents a situation that can happen in any church, in any place, at any time in history. It is a universally understandable situation to the human condition. Someone is struggling. They're poorly clothed and lacking food. Verse 16, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The point that James is making is that the person failed to help. Now, there's nothing wrong with wishing someone well, but James is describing a situation where someone could help meet a need, but doesn't. And that inspires James in verse 17 to say, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that's pretty strong language. There are a lot of ways that a person can be in need and where we might be in a position to be a blessing. Sometimes that might be a material need. That's where James focuses. But those aren't the only needs a person might have. Sometimes it's a relational need. It might be someone who's lonely or who needs a friend or who needs to be included, who just needs to know someone cares. Sometimes it might be a spiritual need that a person, more than anything, does need our prayers. Sometimes it might be a gospel need that it's a person who doesn't know Christ and they're struggling with where they are in life and where we're in a position to share the good news of the gospel with them, but where it can be so much easier to let the moment pass by and do nothing. Sometimes it might be a service-related need. A person might need help with something that they're physically incapable of doing or that they don't know how to do or in a position where they just need some help, and where we might be in a position to offer that help. There are lots of different types of needs that people around us might have. And most of us probably have certain strengths and weaknesses in helping people. Again, in this passage, James uses the example of a material need. Some of us might be really good at helping with that, and that's great. I think this church is very generous, but maybe some of us have other areas where we struggle in helping people in their times of need. Maybe we aren't as good at making time for people. 
Maybe we aren't as good at sharing the love of Christ with people. And my point today isn't to just give you a box to check while I did my good deed for the day, leave me alone. The point is that as the people of Christ, who are redeemed by the gospel, who are transformed by Jesus, what is our outlook on how we use what God has given us? How we use our time, how we use our talents, how we use our treasure. The Navy used to have a slogan at the end of their commercials where they'd say, America's Navy, a global force for good. But really, that's what the church is meant to be. The body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, those who spread light in a dark world. As we follow the greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor, as people who are redeemed by the gospel, whose lives have been touched by grace, that is meant to impact how we see ourselves in the world and how we reach others. That we're not just here for ourselves, but that we're in a position to serve and bless. And in this passage, James very much ties that idea to faith. And my point today is not to guilt trip people. Sometimes we really aren't in a position to help someone. We can't save the whole world. There's one person who could and he died on the cross. And we also can't serve the whole world. But I'm going to guess that most of us, myself included, we have times where we know we could do more, times where we could meet a need, and sometimes we just don't. In the first part of the passage, James really leans into the importance of this idea of faith and works very quickly to look at these examples. He says in verse 17, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 20, faith apart from works is useless. Verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Works work to show faith that works. But that's why I wanted to look at this passage today, to consider these verses while we also consider what Paul has been saying as we've studied Galatians. And that'll bring us to our second point, Paul and the law. Because it can seem like James is preaching a different gospel from Paul's message. Paul does more to articulate a message of grace. That's what we've seen throughout Galatians. Galatians 2.16, probably the single greatest summary in the book of Galatians on justification by faith. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 3.11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 3.24. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And we see Paul express this idea numerous other places. Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For Paul, there's a major emphasis on the law of the Old Testament. We, we cannot be saved through that. For James, when he talks about works, his emphasis is really more on acts of virtue and charity. And he says that faith without those is dead. And so as we consider the writings of these two New Testament writers, it begs some important questions. Is it possible for a person to be a Christian and not have a life that reflects your faith? Can you just claim it? Like saying that you're a vegan who eats meat. And if you do say that you have faith and that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's nothing in your life that suggests that you actually believe, do you really have faith at all? Put another way, if we're justified by faith, does it matter how a Christian lives? If the price has been paid, the penalty for sin satisfied, why not just do whatever we want to do? James says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Martin Luther had huge reservations with the book of James, largely because of this passage. There have been people who have at different times, questioned whether or not the book of James should even be part of the Bible. Some scholars have even adopted this idea that Paul and James are teaching fundamentally different messages. But I would argue that the key to harmonizing these different ideas is understanding the spiritual component of genuine faith in the gospel. In the context of the New Testament, when you place your faith in Christ, God gives you new life through his Holy Spirit. You are born again. You are sealed with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. We don't make ourselves holy. It is God making us holy, sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit. In a future passage in Galatians, Lord willing, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Lord produces through the Spirit in the life of a believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't create those things in ourselves, but rather the Lord works in and through a genuine believer. All people who come to faith are given the Holy Spirit. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he promised the Holy Spirit to the apostles when he said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says in John 16, 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we are given the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit convicts us of our sin, Later in the same passage, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So we have the Holy Spirit, 
We are guided by the Holy Spirit. So any type of argument about faith and works, it's not a matter of simply saying you believe in the gospel because to truly believe, to truly have faith is to have God's spirit. And that's what so many misunderstand. And sadly, that's even what too many churches misunderstand. Some mock the idea that faith alone saves you. As if a person can just say they believe in Jesus and then do whatever they want to do, that it doesn't matter. Which is why to suggest that you can have faith without works is theologically impossible because to have faith is to be born again of the Holy Spirit and to have the Spirit is to be sanctified, that is, to be made holy. And to be sanctified and made holy results in a transformed life. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And there he's using a metaphor for spiritual growth in believers. There is evidence of a life that has been transformed by the gospel. We are known by the fruit we produce, the fruit of righteousness. We see it in people who are growing with God, don't we? We see people's temperaments change, people who are walking with God, healthy trees that bear good fruit, whereas diseased trees bear bad fruit. And so again, the idea of a non-sanctified Christian the idea of a Christian who is not growing, the idea of a Christian who's not having a life changed by the gospel, there's no such thing. Our justification is entirely by faith. The only works that save us are the works of Christ. But if we live a life with no fruit, with no evidence of change, with no greater love for God and his people, then a person should seriously consider if they actually believe. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And that's a pretty profound statement from James. C. Leslie Milton makes the observation, It is a good thing to possess an accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. A person can have true ideas about God, but that doesn't mean that they're walking with God. A person can know true things about God, but that doesn't mean that they know the grace of God. In the Gospels, it's interesting how the Pharisees doubt Jesus and who he claims to be. The disciples are often confused about who he really is. But you, never, you know who never doubts Jesus in the Gospels? Demonic spirits. They know who he is. Just having some right ideas about Jesus is not the same thing as being a born-again believer in the gospel who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Truly knowing the truth changes you. If you found out tomorrow that you were going to inherit $5 million, that would change you. It would change our outlook on things. Two years ago today, Carrie found out she was pregnant with Robbie. It was on this day. That changes you. Especially changed Carrie, but for anybody, when you know you've got a baby on the way, that changes you. And if you know that you were dead in your sins, that you were hopelessly lost, 
but you have found eternal life through Jesus, that changes you. It might ebb and flow at times. When you come to faith in Christ, in that infancy stage of faith, God can seem so real and vibrant in everything that you do. And there might be things that you're doing that you quickly realize are not honoring to God and that quickly fall away. It brings changes. It's amazing how much babies change. This week I was looking at some pictures of Robbie when he was a newborn, and I was thinking, who's this kid? From birth until three, learning how to crawl, learning how to walk, learning how to talk, learning how to talk back, growing in size, constantly learning and growing. We don't grow and change like that at a constant rate for our entire lives. Some seasons we're growing more than others. Other seasons we're cultivating the skills and abilities we already have. But we continue to learn, and as time goes on, there might be things that we never even thought about. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a continual process. So again, to reiterate, we are justified by faith. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus' life was enough. His death was enough. His blood that he spilled was enough. His body that was broken was enough. The life he was resurrected to was enough. We could not earn God. We could not be godly. And from his mercy and goodness, Jesus came for us to live for us, to die for us, to save us from our sins. And all you have to do is trust that and to have faith in that. But when you do, God gives you his spirit. Like Paul said in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I know that's a little bit repetitive because I keep making that point this morning, but I'm trying to drive home that both things are true. We are justified by faith alone, and it is also true that justifying faith results in a changed life. I was struck by a story that I read from a man named Craig Barnes. He's a professor and the former pastor of the National Presbyterian Church. Barnes' father had also been a pastor. When Craig was a child, his family adopted a boy named Roger, who was 12 years old. Roger's parents had both died as a result of drug use. Roger was adopted into this family, and Pastor Barnes recounts that every day, multiple times a day, when he was first brought into the house, Roger would have to be corrected for certain things. He had baggage from his previous life and previous family. He'd be corrected when he yelled at somebody or showed disrespect. He'd be corrected when he tried to hit someone or told a lie. Barnes says, now, did Roger have to make all those changes in order to become part of the family? No. He was made a part of the family simply by the grace of my father. But did he then have to do a lot of hard work because he was in the family? You bet he did. It was tough for him to change, and he had to work at it but he was motivated by gratitude for the incredible love he had received. We are justified by faith alone, and faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. These ideas do not contradict each other, they complement each other. 
faith saves, but fruitless faith shows a lack of saving faith because the Lord works in and through us as born-again believers in the gospel. We come to our third part, Abraham, faith, and works. So we've looked at James's theology. We've looked at Paul's theology. At the end of our passage, James uses an example that we're pretty familiar with from Paul's writing. James points to Abraham, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And again, we've talked a lot about Abraham in our study of Galatians. We've talked about the covenant promises the Lord made to him. We've talked about how Abraham believed and the Lord counted it as righteousness. But here, James suggests Abraham was justified by works. Once again, are we running into an inconsistency? Both statements are true because faith is the entry point to the gospel of God, coming to God, trusting in God. The work that James is referring to is when Abraham trusted God and lived it out. When Abraham and Sarah had waited years for a son and God finally answered that prayer, Abraham was then told he had to sacrifice his son in Genesis 22. And Abraham, in that unimaginable situation, trusted God to the point of being willing to do it before being stopped by a divine intervention. But that was showing true faith and supreme confidence in God. But what had come before this was Abraham's justification by faith. Abraham had already believed and that had already been counted to him as righteousness. Taking Isaac to the altar was the fruit of that faith. It was the response when his faith faced its greatest trial. Because he believed, the maturation of his faith was a life lived out in accordance with that faith. And it was because of that trust that Abraham was willing to follow what the Lord commanded of him. Verses 22 and 23. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Works work to show faith that works. James says that his faith and works were working together, and that his work was actually a result of faith for Abraham. From the example of Abraham, James borrows another example from the Old Testament. In verse 25, he points to Rahab. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? If you don't remember Rahab in the Old Testament, she's found in the book of Joshua. Rahab was a prostitute. She was not an Israelite. But when the Israelites were in the land where she lived, in Jericho, she took actions that helped the Israelites in capturing the city. She acted in faith in the belief of the God of Israel. Could James be saying that she was justified by works apart from faith? No. James never says that anywhere. He's always pointing to works as a complement to faith. 
And that's what he's also doing with the example of Rahab. I've kept making the point today that faith without works is dead, but works without faith doesn't save. I didn't make a slide for this, but at the end of the passage, verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James gives an analogy. Body and spirit go together. A body without the spirit is lifeless, and faith apart from works is dead. Furthermore, a faith that does, do not, that does not produce works is lifeless. It's a matter of having both, of trusting God. Your works are not about earning forgiveness, but it's something done as a result of gratitude and love for God, and they also have the result of confirming the truth of what we believe. Faith without works is dead. And this call here and the book of James is showing the immense grace of God because it's a warning against someone who doesn't really believe in the gospel. Some people aren't walking with God, never have been. But maybe they were baptized as a baby and they act like that is their salvation. Maybe they prayed some sinner's prayer at a certain point. Maybe they came forward at a church service or an evangelistic service at some point. But there's been no change. There's been no greater love for God, no desire to grow. Faith without works is dead. We are known by our fruit. We are justified by our faith. It's a reminder that confronts us to question where we are in our relationship with God. What kind of fruit are you producing? What kinds of ways have you seen God growing in you? In what ways has your love for God grown? Is God your greatest love? Is knowing him your greatest treasure? Is the grace of Jesus the greatest truth you know? How do we respond to a passage like this? What's the application? Is it do more works? That seems like an obvious place to go. And certainly, that's always a good thing for any person to do. It's good to serve and help others. If it's an area where you know that you struggle, let me encourage you. We have opportunities to bless people. We have people in our lives who we can serve. But I think another important matter to consider is our motivation and our relationship with the Lord. Are we walking with the Lord and loving the Lord in such a way that it stirs our love for others and our desire to help and to serve? If not, that might be a symptom of a greater spiritual problem in our own heart. And so that's the application I'd encourage you to take away from this passage, to consider what you really believe about God and your relationship with him, to consider what we really believe about our place in this world as followers of Christ. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for both of these authors in the New Testament. Paul, the great apostle, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. Lord, and both of these men pointing us to truth, pointing us to you. Lord, may we be a church and a people of faith who live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.